You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad. And uh, the Darcy McGee Summer School is coming up in Carlingford this month. And a historical fictional novel was published a little earlier in the year relating to uh, the Thomas Darcy McGee events in Ottawa by Anne Shortle. And it's called Celtic Knot. And as I say, it is uh, an historical work of fiction. And uh, I looked and I saw that the the writer's note at the back said, this book began when I awakened from a bad dream. And it was the night of September 2012, a month after her mother had died. And she was left with the image of a girl and a candle and one sentence. I was on the other side of the door when Mr. Darcy was shot. And Shortle, thanks a million for agreeing to come along and having a chat. Thank you for inviting me, Austin. So, um, <laughs> you you uh, woke up uh, back in 2012 and you had inspiration. Yes, it was, uh, it was prompted, I realized, by a story my father had told me when I was a girl, standing on the Spark Street Mall in Ottawa, the story of the assassination of Darcy McGee. And uh, this girl was telling me that uh, she was the person who opened the door and found McGee lying on the stoop, shot in the back of the head. And I realized I needed to tell this story from this girl's point of view. Now, when your dad would have told you that story, you would have been young. I was probably about nine. And when I thought about it later, I thought, the way my father told me the story, I think he might have heard it from the rebel's viewpoint because I recalled him saying something like, if the man hadn't died that way, he was such a wild man, wild man he might have been you know, killed in a bar fight. Now, I know telling a young girl this story in that way might sound a little strange, but... It's a, it's a classic Irish tale, isn't it? <laughs> when you think about it, in some ways, in some ways, it could be. It, it could be. Yes. Um, so um, then, uh, I noticed also that you uh, collaborate. I once, well, not you, that you were in touch with uh, David Wilson, Professor David Wilson of the University of Toronto. Yes. We've chatted yes. with David previously about his work and the depth of work that he did on Thomas Darcy McGee and certainly he is yeah he's the foremost uh, historian when it would come to Thomas Darcy McGee and you know I certainly have read his work I I exchanged correspondence with him because I I found that there was this missing manuscript that when McGee died he had sent a manuscript to Charles Tupper who was in London uh, to to take to the publishers, and I contacted the the company that had um, inherited the archive from that publishers. They had no record of it. Nobody had ever heard of it. There was reference to it in uh, a letter that Tupper had written to MacDonald, uh, Prime Minister MacDonald, but the work never showed up. So it was missing, and, and to me, that became part of the girl's story. I saw her writing by candlelight. I saw her copying out McGee's work. And then I I just thought, did his death have anything to do with this very 
anti-American manuscript that he'd written. Uh, so that became a subplot in what is a history with a mystery. And before, this is your first fictional. Prior to this, you had worked in journalism. I did. I like to say in another century, I published, when I was young, I published very serious books about men with money and power and how what they did to adapt to times of great change. And now I've published a work about a young girl with no money and no power and how she adapted to a time of great trauma and change in this country. And, and I suppose you would say that she was um, spending her time among men yes. who had money yes. and power. Who, who had money and power. More power than money, actually. Uh, neither MacDonald nor McGee had much money. But uh, they had enormous power. When you think how few people uh, made this political entity that is Canada 150 years ago. You know, it, was, it was McGee's idea originally to bring the, the provincial colonies together, and his great friend and drinking buddy, MacDonald, was the person to pull it together. So then, as we weave the story, um, Clara works at Mrs. Trotter's. Yes, she works at the boarding house. Uh, she actually was working for the McGee family. She was brought over under the McGee's sponsorship because she came from Carlingford and she was alone and she, she was very bright and educated, but uh, her grandmother died. So when McGee wrote and said, you know, send us a girl, she was sent by the priest. She worked in Montreal in Griffintown, the Irish neighborhood in Montreal at the McGee house, but uh, Mrs. McGee didn't like how educated and uppity she was and, and how McGee saw himself, in a sense, reflected in this young girl. He was, he was uh, what's called an autodidact. He had educated himself and came from very poor circumstances. So he, when he was not much older than her. And uh, so he then found her employment at the boarding house in Ottawa so that she could continue to copy his workout for him. So, in uh, and I know Clara is part of the fictional aspect of the historical fiction, but when it then comes to weaving Clara into the story and the rest of the story and um, getting advice from David Wilson, uh, in order to weave the whole story together, how close did you feel you needed to st stick with what would have been some degree of chronological facts? Well, I must say, while I, you know, used the historical fact, I also made those decisions that you have to as a writer of fiction. It's There are things that, um, first of all, Clara opens the door in my story, and uh, Mrs. Trotter said at the trial that she had been the person to open the door to McGee. Uh, she was behind Clara right in my story there, but... She didn't see what Clara saw. That allowed Clara to look out onto the street and to see a buggy. There was there was much talk of a buggy at the trial, uh, whether there'd been a buggy on the street, had there been a buggy nearby. She saw just the mere outline of a buggy. And then as the story goes on, uh, she ends up going with McGee's body to Montreal 
And uh, so she's there for that extraordinary funeral where there were 80,000 people on the street. And she becomes part of, uh, in a very interesting way, because she can read his his notes. You know, McGee was so prolific in his writing. And having been a writer myself and using shorthand, I believe that, you know, he must have jotted things down in a shorthand. And she was able to read his work. So she she could then, she found his diary pages at the home in Montreal, and, and she ends up working with the investigator as the person who's transcribing those pages back in Ottawa, which takes her further into the investigation. She She feels real guilt that she couldn't get that door open. It is true that Mrs. Trotter had double-locked the door, which was unusual, and McGee was, had his key in the door but couldn't open it. So there's always that feeling. If, if that hadn't happened, if he'd been able to open the door a little more quickly, he would have gotten through. He would have lived. He would have been able to cross the threshold. And then with the trial, I really did have to create a few characters who were an amalgam of the many people who who, who testified. I I did bring in um, the witness who said that he saw McGee on the street, and I explored his his uh, story. But I also did create one person who represented those who who spoke against McGee, and some people thought that you know they were being persuaded by the authorities or being bribed. There was a lot of money. Of, did money change hands? Uh, so. I explored that through particular characters, and I also created um, Major Pierce Doyle. There was a, a Doyle in the original story who was a driver and uh, one of the people who was a, what I would call a minor suspect, but I would say that Pierce Doyle pushed his way into my story in a sense. Uh, just as Clara arrived and urged me to write it, he, he became more important as an investigator, uh, so even though the Ottawa police had uh, a policeman named O'Neill involved, who was very important in the real investigation, obviously I felt Sir Johnny MacDonald had to have his own people on this because MacDonald was wrapped up in this. And so that led me to explore the Prime Minister. And then, uh, you know, I don't want to give away the story, but it is factual. You know, Trotters did burn down. Uh, around the time of the hanging, so, you know, and there was some question as was there a bombing there? Was it uh, Fenian uh, punishment? Um, you know, so I used that to move Clara into the prime minister's house. And there are things that happen when you're working on something like this. You know, that this this baby is born. This young Miss Macdonald is born right at the time of the hanging. That is fact. And and she had um, physical and developmental challenges. Uh, I don't think we often think of the Prime Minister that way, Johnny MacDonald, but he was an older father with a challenged child who was born right at that time. And that brought Clara into the house in a way where she stepped over the threshold herself, in, in, in essence, into Canada, and and her perspective changed at that point. You mentioned that Doyle pushed his way in to uh, as a character. 
As you were writing and as the story was evolving, um, the, the characters themselves must then also have been evolving in your psyche. Yes. Yes, I, uh, I would say I grew up in Kingston, Ontario. So I had heard stories of Johnny MacDonald, you know, positive and negative and larger than life from the cradle. Um, and also my father's tales. And, you know, those of us who were born here but our Irish in heritage become more Irish than the Irish, if I can say that. So we feel a, a huge connection with something we've never known. Uh, uh, and and so Clara is actually named after Castle Clara outside Kilkenny, which is where my family was originally from. And uh, and her last name Swift is from one of our old family names, and it was that mix that I wanted to make of the two Irelands: the the Ireland of Jonathan Swift, and the Ireland of those who lost everything because of their religion. You know, so my family came uh, pre-famine, uh, starting in the 1790s through the 1830s and is settled outside of Kingston uh, in a farming community called Brewer's Mills, which I ended up inserting into the book. Um, when she went to a farm, she went to a farm in Brewer's Mills, and it was the Doyle Farm, and goodness, there, there is actually a Doyle Farm, and they are distant relatives, and it didn't, hadn't occurred to me when he appeared in the story in the beginning, but the connections to my own history were certainly there, and like Clara's story, it's it's a mix of the personal and the political there. So Clara Clara lived for me from the beginning, and uh, I have to say as well, my mother was uh, a war bride uh, from Wales, also Celtic, um, and the idea of a young young girl, young woman coming here to this country on her own and feeling isolated uh, did come in part from her stories when Clara at one point climbs into a closet to cry. That was a story my mother told me about herself uh, so that nobody knows the depth of loneliness that you're feeling. So, um, as you said, they, the characters then, uh, they do evolve based on your personal experiences and everything else and, and all that you have amassed over time. So, in bringing that to merge to some degree with what are the very cold hard facts that are documented by David Wilson and others uh, that's where I guess is that a challenge that you were able insofar as is possible to remain relatively true to the truth and still weave through the fiction yes and I think it's because it's our great mystery in this country, did Whalen shoot McGee? And I had to come down to, ultimately, he could have been a hero to the rebels if he had said, in the end, if he'd taken ownership of it, if he'd said, yes, I did it. And he didn't do that. He said at, he, at the end, I was there, but I didn't pull the trigger. And so to me, when I look for the larger truth, that gave me a mystery. And this is, as I said, it's a twist of history where I took the strands of the shooting and the, the 
inquest that was moved from Trotter's boarding house to Parliament because of the number of people who needed to be there, and the, tra the train trip to Montreal, and the funeral, and then the investigation, the trial, and then the, the, the fact that Whelan had a wife uh, named Bridie who had to come to Ottawa for the trial. And then the question of whether she was a rebel as well. Uh, then moving forward to the burning of the boarding house, the hanging, uh, the, the question of whether this was the end of the threat from the rebels. All of these facts pulled together, you know, all of these scenes, but I also took dramatic license. Uh, I took Johnny MacDonald to the funeral when, in fact, he remained in Ottawa. In my book, he's there because uh, I saw him as, you know, part of this story, and I wanted to represent that, uh, the, the timing of that fire. I moved a few weeks. Uh, certainly, you can't represent all of the characters, although, you know, my book has a lot of characters, the people involved in that investigation and trial. So, and, uh, yeah, so, and then you mentioned you moved Clara into MacDonald's house, and that gave you the ability, as you said, to explore MacDonald and his family. family. That's right. So I, I took her closer to the hanging by moving the hanging into the courtyard of the jail uh, so that she could fully witness it. I took her closer to the investigation by making her the only person who could understand McGee's private papers. I took her closer to the uh, wife of Whelan by moving her into the plate, into Trotter's boarding house because she needed a place and no one would take her. Uh, so Bridie Whelan, the man on trial's wife, ends up uh, being uh, it, right there with Clara, who is tasked with tracking her, with finding out about her, and yet really comes to identify with her. And at the same time, she has very divided loyalties. She has loyalties to her people, and she has loyalties to the country that were instilled in her by McGee. So the facts, you know, I, I it's in the end, I, I have the trial, I have the hanging, and then I have my own solution. And it is different as well because it's from the female perspective. It's from the, the eyes of a young girl who realizes things that the male investigator doesn't. Now, the other aspect of something like this, like you were... Um, produced in this story you're up over 300 pages and uh, while I haven't had time to read the full uh, novel um, I had an opportunity to read um, a reasonable amount and one of the comments I would have to make is that it is very readable um, because you know when you come across what would be history I, I was never turned on by factual history and uh, in many ways, the format that you have chosen has allowed what is an historical period of time to be read comfortably. 
thank you. And I have to say, some people say Canadian history is boring, and some of the ways I was taught it in school were boring. Um, some some captured me. This you know this period always captured me, uh, and I, I really do appreciate that because I I've tried to make it a tale. The way when Darcy McGee wrote his history of the Irish people, he said he chose the most dramatic moments. And, you know, he tried to make it interesting, uh, perhaps at the expense at times of being entirely accurate, because how do we know the entire accuracy of the past? We want to, we want to bring people into the story and make them feel as if they're living it. And that's been my goal in writing Celtic Knot. And of course, accuracy is, I won't say it is different, but it's subjective to some degree because everybody looks at a situation through their own eyes. Yes, and I would say Clara's views of the story shifted they, you know, from, from when she started and she basically worshipped Darcy, Darcy McGee. And as she read more of his diaries, she came to have a, a bit of a more realistic portrait of him as a complicated man. And at the same time, she realized that this was not Ireland she was living in. It was a different country. She came to know a woman who is Métis, who's the wife, uh, who I invented, who's the wife of a, of a historical character, uh, Lacroix, who is the person who struggled to give his testimony because he didn't speak very good English. And so I brought the French fact in and... Uh, she also saw that, although she was very conflicted about the fact that, uh, you know, her father was uh, was um, Anglican and her mother was Catholic, she she realized that in this new country, people of all religions needed to get along, and so she she became more Canadian as the book progressed. Um, I also noticed that you uh, credit Danny Doyle, uh, and I've chatted with Danny before. I know Danny with uh, keeping you straight on the Irish language. He was fantastic. I realized, you know, I really needed help with that. Uh, and not only that, he also discussed some concepts with me when I was struggling with the concept of uh, how... Um, People would be seen who, who or who would be talked about, you know, the land of the she or being uh, close to God, as opposed to the idea of having an old soul. Uh, and also, he gave me something that is right at the beginning of the book, and my pronunciation will not be right, but it's the word C U I S L E A N. Kushlan. Kushlan, which means both the beat of a heart and the flow of the river. So that was a beautiful concept that I was trying to find the right word for. And, you know, to have somebody like Danny Doyle, you know, such an expert, who's written his own book on the Irish uh, at, you know, at this period of time, uh, and uh, to have him look at my work and say, well, yes, this works. No, that doesn't. Yes, this is the word. I think you've got the wrong pronunciation. And then at the same time, to take into account the fact of the general readership and how I could how I could uh, represent the Gaelic 
uh, without being a, a scholar. That was amazing, and I thank him so much. And you were able to do the, the same with the French, with uh, Richard and Amanda. Yes, I, I did have help with the French, but the Gaelic was more going into a different world for me. Um, the French was somebody checking to make sure it was all right, but um, the, it opened my eyes to a new way of thinking. When, when Danny looked at the Gaelic. Indeed, indeed. And I've always felt that, you know, in many ways, language is something that individually defines a culture yes. in a different way than anything else. And uh, the importance... I also huge. And I think the fact that the other girl in the story, Hannah, didn't really speak Gaelic at all. Uh, I was trying to represent her, in a sense, more like I am, you know, thinking I'm Irish but never having lived in Ireland and not speaking the language, having a heritage is a different way of, uh, of identifying with the country. Indeed. Indeed. Well, Anne, we should wrap up here maybe because, as you said, we don't want to steal um, the story in any way. And what we need to do is advise anyone who would be interested in getting their hands on the book where they might get it. Well, the book is available through all outlets, um, you know, e-book e and, uh, and printed book. And uh, it's avail I'm actually going to be in Ottawa um, the week of the trial. Uh, the 150th anniversary of the trial is uh, September 7th to 16th. And on the 15th, I'm going to be signing books at Perfect Books uh, on Elgin Street. But uh, it's, it's widely available. Uh, so if the bookstore doesn't have it, they certainly can order it. And, uh, of course, I'd say support your community stores, but it's also available from the usual suspects online. Right. And your website is www.annshortell, and that's Anne with no E, A-N-N-S-H-O-R-T-E-L-L dot com. Yes. You're a Facebook and Twitterer? My... Celtic Not McGee is, is Twitter, uh -huh. and uh, Anne Shortell Celtic Not is Facebook. And to put it in summary, uh, Anne, uh, we've been chatting with Anne Shortell, and it's her history with the mystery Celtic Not, and uh, in the twist of history, uh, Clara Swift who is uh, Anne's protagonist, an Irish immigrant housemaid, is a spirited narrator who uses wit and intuition to shed light on a mystery for the ages. And this elfin girl with an old soul must step beyond the horror of her hero, Thomas Darcy McGee's slaughter, and four other deaths linked to the assassination before she truly understands the cost of crossing a new country's threshold. And Shortle, thanks a million for taking the time to have a chat. Thank you so much, Austin. It's been a pleasure.